want to take just a couple minutes to talk to you guys about songs. My sermon is entitled, To Love Somebody. And the reason why I want to talk to you about this is I, I have shared many heavy things. Everything I share, I wanted to pass through the honesty and the conviction of my heart. But I found that there's been fewer and fewer times where I have had the opportunity to share with you the aspects of my passion that maybe don't necessarily come up all the time on a Sunday morning. And one of the things I care the most about is I care about the intersection of God and culture. I love culture. I think God loves culture. I think he enjoys the things that we enjoy because we love them. Nothing brings me more satisfaction as a dad than to see my son or my daughter having fun. It's God's will that we would be subjects of his pleasure, his delight. And so he brings us into a life that is full of delight, full of wonder, full of pleasure, so that we can have joy in the, experience we, in the experiences we have. And the sum total of that in a community is its culture. So more specifically than, than culture, I love music. I've always loved music. Some of my earliest memories are tied to music. And let me be clear, not just Christian music. I know, some of you are like gathering your things and leaving. I remember when Napster came out. Does anyone remember what Napster is? I knew, I knew how to work the internet better than my parents did. And it, Napster was so new that nobody knew what was going on. And I decided to give myself a, an education on secular music because my parents had no idea what I was doing. So I downloaded Napster and then I downloaded every song I could possibly find illegally. If I overheard someone mention a band, I was like, I'm gonna learn about them. And I'd go on Napster and I'd just rip their top 10 songs and listen to them and then just kind of index them in my mind. And we're talking about like a hard drive full of music. We're not talking about like 10 songs. For those of you who are inclined to music, the first song I ever downloaded that wasn't a Christian song was <laughs> All Star by Smash Mouth, that high, that high quality tune. But I just, I love music, I love songs. My dad, especially, but my mom too, when we would go to bed as kids, they would come into our room and before prayers, my dad would often start singing, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. And it was like, I was probably in my 20s before I realized that wasn't a worship song. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I heard Elvis' uh, 
not, it's not Unchained Melody. Fools rush in. Some folks say only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. First time I heard that was in a worship service. I didn't know Elvis wrote it. Someone sang it spontaneously, and I was like, this is beautiful, Jesus. I can't help falling in love with you, Jesus. When I found out that, that You Are My Sunshine was a secular song, I heard Johnny Cash's version, and it's depressing. Like, the course and the verse are very different. I just thought it was this lovely melody, this nursery rhyme sung over me, and I found out that it's like about a painful breakup. But it's amazing how hidden in music and hidden in melody, there are these emotions and these experiences that you really can't find any other way. Nod your head if this is true for you, because some people don't like music. Or, you, or they say they like music, and you say, do you like music? And they're like, yeah, I like music. And you're like, like what kind of music? And they're like, all kinds, whatever's on, my, whatever's on the radio. And I'm like, cool, that's awesome. But some people are like, I like music, and let me show you. And they've got like, you know, two cabinets worth of records. And for those of us that really resonate with music, you know that you can have experiences in hearing a song that you really can't have any other way. And I think that's by design. I think that song and melody is one of the languages of the Spirit. Luke 7. Jesus is talking to the servants of John the Baptist. John is discouraged because he's in prison, right? And Jesus came on the scene as a liberator. So there's a contradiction. The guy who proclaimed and championed Jesus as the Messiah is in prison. John says, the liberator has come. Why am I not liberated? So they go to, the servants of John the Baptist go to Jesus and Jesus encourages John. He says, just tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Blessed is he who is not offended at me. Meaning, I'm doing what I am called to do. I am the liberator that God has promised. Please don't get offended if your circumstances don't line up with how you think my identity should play out. Which, by the way, is a good word for anyone who might be offended at God in the room. (laughs) So then because he said this about John and to John the Baptist, he sent this message. People are hearing Jesus discuss the ministry of John. And he says this about the ministry of John. Verse 31. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation and what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and they say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Jesus compares the ministry of John and his own ministry to two different songs. He says that the ministry of John the Baptist is like a funeral song. And it was like a funeral song because John was calling for the end of the established order. He was saying, the way you guys think you're following God as the people of Israel 
has fallen short, and behold, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. John was pronouncing the end of Israel's hopes and prominence as an exclusive nation that had the rights to the will of God. There were a lot of people who were hoping for the restoration of Israel, but what they wanted that to be was they wanted Israel to become great again at the exclusion of all other nations. John said, that project is over. So he played them a funeral dirge. But Jesus compares his ministry to someone playing the flute in the marketplace. And he says that even though this flute is playing, people don't dance. Have you ever noticed that most people don't dance? Let me rephrase that. Have you ever noticed that most sober people don't dance? (laughs) Have you ever thought about why that is? Let's not make it about yourself. Let's make it about the person you're sitting beside. Let's think about them for a second. Why do most people not dance? My little girl, whenever music with a beat comes on, she starts dancing. And this is true of many children, by the way. Not only are they super comfortable with being naked, and they're totally relaxed about bodily fluids being expelled from their body wherever they are, but they also they feel a beat and they just start to move. And she does this thing where she puts one arm up and she like, kind of cocks the other arm around in a circle like this. Or she'll like, stick her butt out like this. And I'm like, wow, girl, you got some moves, right? And I want to encourage this as her dad, as most parents do. A kid is dancing around the living room. What do the parents do? The parents encourage this. They turn up the music. They make it into a dance party. Perhaps they have little instruments, and they let the kids play along to the music, which is basically just an excuse to make a raucous noise that doesn't match the song at all. But most parents, if they're healthy, don't go, I'm sorry, sweetie, you're not playing drums to the rhythm. You have to stop. And they don't say, those dance moves are really embarrassing. You should probably look at yourself in the mirror. (laughs) But somewhere along the way, from childhood through adolescence and into adulthood, we lose our ability to dance. We lose our ability to enjoy life. And some of us might be willing to express ourselves in dance if only alcohol lowers our inhibitions first because we're far too self-conscious to express ourselves that way when we're sober. So Jesus says, I've come with a message of liberation and a message of hope. And it's like a song played in the marketplace that would cause people to dance if they were children. But most people aren't like children, so most people don't dance. (laughs) I think God's love and God's presence is like a song throughout all creation. And I think that some of us hear this song and some of us enter into the dance and some of us don't hear this song So we can't enter the dance. 
But some of us sit in the marketplace and we hear the song, but we choose not to dance. Some of us choose to stay within our own limitations, our own self-consciousness. And in doing so, we remain bound in our shame for as long as we make that choice to hear the music and not respond to it. Now, before you think I'm judging you, let me confess that I, until very, very recently, until embarrassingly recently, I refused to dance. And here was my excuse. My excuse was, I am a drummer. I don't enjoy the music, I play the music. How I enjoy the music is by playing the music. The reason why I was embarrassed was when I decided to dance, if I ever did, the thing I do with my arms is air drum. So I was like the dad out there, like doing this, you know, like hitting the ride, hitting the crash, right? And unless you're paying attention and you know how precise my movements are, you just think I'm an embarrassing dad dancer, which is also what I am. But I was far too self-conscious to enjoy this song. And if you think that I'm just being metaphorical, I'm not. Music would come on in the radio and I'd groove out a little bit. And then I think to myself as I pull up at a stoplight, what if somebody watches me? What if somebody notices <gasps> the horror? <laughs> so at most I could bop my head a little bit, right? That's as far as I'm willing to go. And then of course, because I grew up in church culture, if worship music was playing, I was told that it pleased the Lord for me to dance, so I would only do it to make God happy with me. And worship dancing is something like this. <laughs> Christian moshing, they call it. It's moshing without any of the violence or risk. You just jump on the spot beside other teenagers, right? A Bible with the part, right? Leave room for the Holy Spirit. You don't want to bump into someone else. Just bump into Jesus. But all the while growing up, I would have these experiences with songs, and they would move me, and they would affect me so deeply. Can I give you another example? The great Leonard Cohen, Canadian poet, songwriter, wrote a song called Hallelujah. In my opinion, it deserves to be talked about in the 10 best pop contemporary songs of the modern era, okay? At least the top 10, maybe the top five, maybe the top one, but... If you know it, it goes, hallelujah, hallelujah. And he's using the word hallelujah not to mean just what we think it means, but it also means what we think it means. And the first line of the song is, I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. And I thought to myself when I was a teenager listening to that, I thought, I wonder if there are certain sounds that make God happy. Because there's certainly sounds that make me happy. And my almost girlfriend, I knew that there were certain sounds that made her happy. Like, Leisha loves A-flat suspended on the piano. <laughs> and I know that because one time we were hanging out and she said, I love this chord. And she went, you know what? Let me just show you. <laughs> Hold on. It needs to be the piano sound. I'll do it one more time because it's got to be a little louder. Now that sounds different than... And that also sounds different than, 
which is dissonant. And suddenly everyone's like, ugh, that doesn't sound good. You're right, it doesn't sound good. Because our brains are designed to respond to certain frequencies in harmony with one another. And these frequencies are actually moving throughout the natural universe. And they have a profound effect on us, upon our psyche, and upon, in my belief, our spirit. If you go through the Psalms and you read about the patterns of worship, you'll notice that a lot of the nature of justice is tied to the rhythm section. Like you hear a lot about um, uh, dancing and, and drumming toward justice. And it's interesting to me, just as an observation, I'm not giving you theology, I'm just giving you observation. I'm just curious. It's interesting to me that a genre of music that seems particularly caught up around the concept of justice is rap music, which is basically just a beat and nothing else. See, we have this creative thing in our spirit where we begin to be moved by something, and and you may ask yourself, am I talking about the natural or am I talking about the spiritual? Yes, they're integrated. We begin to be moved by something and we begin to be inspired to participate. And not only do we want to participate, but we want to create ourselves. We want to join into the act of creation. To me, this is tied to the nature of God himself. God as Trinity is a perichoresis, meaning the divine dance. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are eternally interacting with one another, loving and glorifying each other, and the early church fathers depicted this as a divine dance. You can't tell where one ends and one begins. They are interacting with one another, freely exchanging love and thankfulness, and they invite us into the dance as well. In Genesis chapter 1, God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. So the very first thing he entrusts to us is a creative instinct. And the very first expression of that creative instinct is towards sexual reproduction. We're not going to make this a biology lesson. So if you're uncomfortable, I promise I'm done. Except, I will say this. Have you ever noticed that the nature of music is often tied to the nature of sexuality? See, I grew up thinking that music was inherently evil because it reflected sinful desires and values that weren't appropriate for me to engage with. And then I discovered that God said, be fruitful and multiply, which means he tied our creative instinct to our sexual instinct. And suddenly it makes sense why everyone wants to sing about their baby. Baby, 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 oh. I'm not saying all music that's about sex is okay. You understand me? We can use our creative instinct in a wrong way. But suddenly I didn't feel the need to judge everything that was on the radio because it only makes sense that if God said be fruitful and multiply, that the creative instinct is is so innate to our humanity that the first place we go is toward our desire, our romance, our longing, our connection to one another. And this is integrated with our connection with God. The moment I knew I was going to marry my wife, 
was when I was 16 years old in church singing a music special with her for the congregation. Not this congregation, but a congregation in the city. We decided to sing a worship song called The Father's Song. It's an old Matt Redmond tune. And it was so funny for, to me because we walked out onto the platform. By the way, the song has an A-flat suspended in it. <laughs> that may just be the secret chord that David played. Please the Lord. We walked out on the platform, and she began to sing, and I was supposed to harmonize with her. And of course, it's a moment of worship, right? It's also a music special, which is kind of weird. It's like, hey, take a break in the middle of the service, and let's let these teenagers perform. But hey... We did it. So we come out on the platform, and I walked slightly behind her, and perhaps it was the light shining in her hair. <laughs> but I was just captured by her, and I was like, exactly. That was my first thought, was what am I doing thinking about her when we're supposed to be ministering to Jesus? Singing the Father's song, the Father's love. And I'm just caught up by this by this woman that I'm captured by. But I just knew. It was weird. I just knew. It was like assured in me. I didn't tell her, certainly not right away. But I knew from that moment on that we would be together for the rest of our lives. And now, looking back, I don't feel like God was offended that I was distracted. Turn to Zephaniah chapter 3. I think there's this song going throughout the universe, and I think some people can't hear it. But I think the greatest tragedy is for those of us who can hear it and choose not to participate. You have to understand, there is no, there is no punishment in that. But the consequence is, is that life is not as sweet, and it's not as brilliant, and it's not as beautiful as it could be if only you could lay behind the inhibitions and the concerns and the self-consciousness and the shame and be free enough to enjoy the music God is playing over you, over us, over this world. When I began to learn that God is a dance in a certain sense, that God as Trinity is a community in a harmonious dance of mutual submission, of love and fellowship, in a sense, worship towards one another, right? Jesus, Jesus comes and he says, I do everything I do to glorify my Father. Jesus says, my life is a life of worship unto my Father. And then, of course, we find out in the letters of Paul and others that the Father glorifies the Son and gives him all things. See, God is obsessed with God. God loves God. Worship doesn't start with us, and the song doesn't begin the moment we start singing. The song begins when we hear the melody that's being sung throughout creation. When I began to learn this, I thought to myself, God, I really want to practice this. And you know what he said? He said, then you need to begin to dance at weddings. No. <laughs> I will do anything but that, God. Thank you. That was a great suggestion. I'd like to learn about the Trinity another way. Please teach me through theology books. 
I will sit and read a big honking thing that other people would use as a doorstop as long as you don't make me dance. My first dancing lesson came from my now father-in-law. I was Leisha's grad escort, and we practiced in her family room because I was so bad at it. I was tripping over my feet, and her dad came and saw me and was merciful to me and said, here, let me show you. And he danced with her, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is humiliating. (laughs) And it only got worse when we went to grad. I'm like, God, don't make me start dancing. He said, every time you feel like dancing, you gotta dance. Oh, that's terrible. So the first time I'm driving in my car, one of my favorite artists comes on, Justin Timberlake. I am an unashamed fan of Justin Timberlake. I've seen him two or three times live. Every time I have the chance to see him, I see him. Some of it is married people music. There's a good segment of songs that you should only listen to when you are in a covenant of marriage. But other than that, I'm listening to his song, Can't Stop the Feeling. I don't know if you've heard it. But it comes on, it's, I got this feeling inside my bones, right? And it's about dancing. It's about being moved by the music. And I'm pulling out of our house, and I'm getting onto the highway, and I hear the Lord go, remember what you promised. And so I start, like, just being a total idiot behind the wheel. I got the windows down. And he said to me, just as a father would, just in a loving way, he said, just don't stop dancing. So I'm on Highway 11 by Costco, and people are like pointing at me, and I'm like, well, if I'm here, I'm here. Might as well get used to it. So I like roll down the, 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 the uh, sunroof, and I've got my hand out the top, and I've like, I got this thing bumping, you know? I'm like, God, I'm just trying to be faithful to you. But here's the thing, we create an environment of worship for a reason. We create an environment of worship because people deserve to hear the song that God has played throughout all creation. And one of the dangerous and tragic things that we could do as people is we could hear the melody that God is creating and we could choose not to participate in it. And honestly, that would, to me, would be worse. It's worse. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to say it, and I can apologize later if you're offended at me. It's worse to come to church and not participate than to not come to church at all. <laughs> it's worse to come to church and refuse to participate than to not come to church at all. Because if you come to church and, and enter into an environment that other people are creating to enter into the dance, sometimes literally and sometimes metaphorically speaking, if you come into that environment and you refuse to participate, you are only inoculating yourself from the Spirit. Whereas if you don't come at all, at least you're still sensitive and perhaps you get a better sleep on Sunday morning. One of the times I was most discouraged in my life, I was walking, trying to get a sense of where God was in my life, and I'm praying, and I'm crying, and I'm listening to music, and because I'm offended at God, I purposefully chose not to listen to worship music. 
And, <laughs> and the song that came on, my, my music was just shuffled. I didn't have time to pick something. I just hit shuffle iPod. Just started throwing songs at me at random. And the song that came on was... <sighs> the song that came on my iPod was Bob Dylan singing, When the rain is blowing in your face And the whole world is on your case I will offer you a warm embrace To make you feel my love I thought to myself, oh, this is a nice song. I'm still upset. So I marched on in my sulk. I have thousands of songs on my iPod. I decided to skip it because Bob Dylan isn't the greatest singer. Like, I'm just going to say that. He's the greatest poet of all time, but he's not the greatest singer. I skipped to the next song. It's Adele singing, When the rain is blowing in your face. And I double-checked. It was on shuffle. It wasn't on alphabetical order. And I just began to weep as I realized the Lord was speaking to me through song. And I realized this whole time God has been speaking to me through song. I thought God only spoke to people through the Bible, through their pastor, through their life group. Sometimes I felt like I didn't have a prophetic insight at all. And then this world opened up to me where God said, I have actually been speaking to you through music for as long as you have been alive. I have been singing over you. I have been celebrating you. I have been giving you the gift of song. And I bet you, if we stopped now and went through this room and just asked every person here, what's the song that most resonates in your heart? What's the song you remember the most? What's the lyrics that you can pull up at the drop of the hat, no matter what? What's the song that comes on in the mall when you find yourself singing along? I would bet that there is something, it might not be the whole thing, (laughs) but I would bet that there's something in the song that the Spirit has for you. Because the entire created order gives God glory. Even the people who with their lips are perhaps singing lyrics that go against his will and his way. (laughs) Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 14 says this. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And the ESV says, songs of joy. He will shout out songs of joy over you. Here is exactly how God is a father to you. He sings songs of joy over you, always. He is in your midst You don't have to fear disaster. And he is close to you, singing forth songs of joy. And he is dancing over you. When I was 17, I was 
for another reason, I don't want to take the time to get into it, I was also feeling discouraged, and I, I was at a point where I felt resigned in my faith. I said, Dad, I don't think I can keep going with this. I don't feel my, my faith, my belief in God has any life in it anymore. And Dad said, I want you to lay down on your bed, and I'm going to pray for you. And I was like, we've done this before. <laughs> I call BS. This isn't going to work. BS doesn't stand for Barb Sharon, by the way. So I laid on my bed only to be obedient. And I thought, this is my last shot. I'm done. I don't, I don't care about any of this stuff. And then I heard the Father singing over me, You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. Fast forward 10 years. They tell me that as a dad, one of the most important things I can do during the pregnancy is to speak to my child. And you find out that talking to someone else's belly, you run out of words really quickly. It's like, hi, baby, so excited to see you. Uh, come quickly. Don't hurt your mummy. Can you kick my hand? High five. So what did I do? I just began to sing, you are my sunshine. And in that moment, in our house in Dalmany, I realized that this is the most perfect metaphor for what it means to be enclosed in the Trinity. My son, who I had not met yet, would only know me by the sound of my voice. And even though it might sound a little muffled, he would only ever know being enclosed in our love and our connection. And he would be born into that. And he would know me by the song. Now, when I put my daughter to bed, my son to bed, I sing, you are my sunshine over them. But not only that, <laughs> my son, most nights, says, Dad, can I sing over Gracie too? And I say, yeah. So he comes in. <laughs> and sometimes he makes up his own song. And lots of times it's just, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol. <laughs> And I'm like, that is not helping her go to sleep. <laughs> but here's the one and only thing I wanted to tell you today. I wanted to let you know that the Father is singing over you. That the Father's song, the Father's voice, the Father's dance, his love, his shouts of joy. They are always exuberantly above you can ask or, what you can ask or think. They are always resonating throughout the heavens. God is celebrating you and he's singing over you and he's put this song and this dance in all of creation. And it's our great honor as his children to not only enjoy the song but to join into it. Because I, I can't tell you how beautiful it felt for my son to say to me, hey dad, can I sing? with you? Can I sing one of the songs with you? And so then now we sing over Gracie together. What I am not saying is that we worship one another, but what I am saying is the reason why what you have happen here can't happen anywhere else is because your voice needs to be heard by someone else. You may say to yourself, I'm not very good at singing. That's okay. I'm not very good at dancing, but I still dance because God made me do it. <laughs> Dang it. 
It's not about that. It's about once you enter into family, the love you've received is the love you share. And we become the people who choose not to ignore the music we know is resonating through the universe. People come into a place like this and they go, well, you know what? I don't, I don't want to participate that way. I don't want to lift my hands. I don't want to dance. I don't want to sing. And I'm like, I totally get it. When I go to a wedding, like it's super easy for me to do this now because I've done it since I was like three. But when I go to a wedding, I don't want to participate. But it just so happens that when Jesus goes to a wedding, he definitely participates. There's no disconnection for him. I'm not saying that you can't like sit down or choose not to sing a song or whatever, and nobody's judging you. Please understand this. What I am saying is that I'm saying it's a great privilege for us to hear the song of a father and to sing it over others. So we're going to take a couple minutes and we're going to sing some more songs before we go. But before we do that, I would like to show you a clip. Here's the reason why I want to show you this clip. Because when I say that I love where God and culture meet, I am super paying attention to where the Holy Spirit is ministering to people totally removed from the church, totally removed from the worship service through song. When I notice that, that is the prophetic song that puts life in dry bones. We talked about this. Ezekiel sees the valley of dry bones and he is told to prophesy to the bones. One of the ways of interpreting that word prophesy is to sing over them. And I believe there are people in culture who haven't yet heard the song. And sometimes, sometimes, it's not all the time, but sometimes you can hear it being sung even outside of the walls of the church. So this is a clip that probably many of you have seen, but I want you to watch it in a different context. It's a worship leader named Michael Ketterer. We sing some of his songs. And he auditioned for America's Got Talent. And he sang what I would like to suggest to you is a worship song. And I'd like to suggest to you that he only sang it for his children. And I just want to show this to you because I just cry every time I see it. (laughs) Go ahead, you can play it. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you? Nervous. It's okay. And what's your name, please? My name is Michael Ketterer. Where are you from? I'm originally from East Tennessee, but right now I live in Orange County. And tell me a bit about you. What do you do for a living? I'm a pediatric mental health nurse. Okay. And what are you going to be doing for us? Are you a singer? Yes, sir. So this is kind of a different direction, you coming on a show like this, Michael. So tell me what the thought process was. What's, what's the ambition, the dream here? Well, um, my family's my reason why I'm here. My wife and my six children. Six, six. children. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that happens, especially because my children came out of foster care, when you're surviving, you can't dream. And that has been one of the most rewarding things is providing them with a home and a safe environment where they're free to dream. That's nice. And so I'm here because I want to show them that if their dad can live out his dreams, then nothing's impossible for them. Good for you. Okay, Michael, listen, we're all rooting for you. Thank you.
Baby, you don't know what it's like 